This morning, to Psalm 40, I waited patiently on the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stay. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord, but and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to be to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None compare to you, with you. Where I to speak, were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sins, offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me. Sorry. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scrolls. I decide to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as I know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart dwells <coughs> within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So in the late 1990s, um, John Major's government had some issues with integrity and some corruption. Um, and one of the worst offenders was a man called Jonathan Aitken. And Jonathan Aitken was uh, Eton educated, Oxford educated. He'd been, been a banker, he'd been a journalist. And then he became an MP and rose to the top and was in the, the cabinet. And, uh, but Jonathan Aitken uh, got involved with some murky goings-on uh, that the Guardian were investigating, and he said, no, it's all lies. I wield the sword of truth, he said. And then it turned out that he was lying, <laughs> and in fact lied under oath. And Jonathan Aitken went to prison, and he uh, had climbed to the top of the tree, he you know, climbed the greasy pole in politics and slid down 
right to the bottom. His wife left him, he went bankrupt, and then famously there was a shot of him coming out of prison after he'd served several months in prison. A shot of him coming out of prison uh, looking like this. Uh, I don't, you maybe can't see it, but he's wearing a sweatshirt, wearing his jeans, and carrying all his belongings in a black bin liner. And, uh, but when he was in prison and around that time, Jonathan Aitken, uh, some old Christian friends came close to him. He went on an alpha course. And God stepped into his life. God heard his cry. He then went on to study theology. And Jonathan Aitken, at the age of 80, is still working now as an ordained minister. And he's a prison chaplain. He goes into prison himself, but to help out prisoners. And what he found was having got to the top, that when he got into prison, it didn't matter anymore. It was kind of classless. They were all bad guys. They'd all done things wrong. So there they were. And he wrote this book, uh, among others, and this one's called Psalms for People Under Pressure. And he refers to Psalm 40, and he says it means a lot to him. Because God lifted him out of the slimy pit. God lifted him out of the mud and the mire. Do you know, um, the prophet Jeremiah in the Old Testament was thrown in a slimy pit. He was thrown into the mud. And he wasn't thrown in because he'd done something wrong. He'd actually spoken the truth of God. But people didn't want to hear it. So they threw him into a pit, they threw him into a cistern that was not had water in it, but it was muddy, and he sank down into the mud. I wonder if you ever feel like you're in a pit. It might be from your own doing, like Jonathan Aitken, or it might be from your, not from your own doing, and, and, and just those around are wishing you ill, um, like Prophet Jeremiah. You need rescuing. You know, when you're in the pit, like Jeremiah was, you can't get out yourself. And Jonathan Aitken realised he couldn't just lie his way out of trouble. He had a lot of soul-searching to do, and he realised he needed help. He needed rescuing. And this psalm is written by someone needing rescuing. He heard my cry. He heard my cry. And he lifted me out of the slimy pit. How are you at waiting? Are you good at waiting? Sometimes we don't like to wait. We get impatient. Tuesday I went and got my hair cut. It took a long time. And, uh, <laughs> well, actually, a lot longer was the queue. Because I thought, in Paddock Wood, I thought, oh, the kids have gone back. They hadn't gone back to school. And there's a big queue of people. I thought, oh, well, I've just got to wait. And I had to wait. It seems like a waste of time, doesn't it, waiting? But it's not a waste of time when we're waiting for God. I waited patiently for the Lord. Why? Because I couldn't help myself. I recognised I needed help. I needed rescue. I needed help. You know, once I needed rescuing, I went youth hosteling when I was 15 with my friend Sid in Lake District and we were, were one youth hostel we met two older slightly older guys and uh, we, we on our itinerary the next youth hostel was Helvellyn uh, but the only way to get to Helvellyn was to go over Mount Helvellyn 
And these two guys that we met, they said, oh, we're going the same way, we'll go with you. In the morning we set off, we had our rucksacks on our back. There was a bit of drizzle in the air, so we thought, well, we won't wear our trousers, we'll just wear shorts to um, keep our trousers dry. And we set off up Mount Helvellyn. The weather got significantly worse. I found out later, it, was, it ended up being the worst day up there in 12 years. <laughs> and there we were, work, walking up Mount Helvellyn. It uh, was drizzled to start with, then it turned, you know, you can imagine. The rain came sheeting down, and then the wind was so strong, I remember the rain felt like bullets on my skin. We thought, should we turn back? You know, oh, well, no, the, the way to the next youth hostel that we're booked at is over Mount Helvellyn. We better keep going. But look, there's a shelter up ahead. Let's keep going to the shelter. Now, in my teenage imagination, a shelter was a nice building where you could get a hot cup of tea and uh, there would be a toilet and all the rest of it. And we got to the shelter and it was a wall. And that was all it was. There was a couple of sheep there sheltering. Like, what are you doing here? And, uh, oh no, my heart sank. And in fact, we got to the top. But do you know what? Um, we were in trouble. We sat down and I looked down and no word of a lie, my legs had turned green. Literally turned green. I couldn't get the trousers out of my rucksack because my hands were completely numb. My friend Sid said, we're not going to die. He was determined, I don't want to die. Pre-mobile phones and all the rest of it. We kept on walking. We thought, well, well we might as well keep going. Sid, if you know Helvellyn, it's like that along the top. We're walking along and uh, Sid was glad he had a rucksack on his back. He said later he thought he'd be blown off the edge because the wind was so strong. We kept on going. And the two guys, a little bit older, and they had trousers on, and they were faring slightly better than us. They went ahead, and we were were falling over. Literally, we couldn't hardly walk. And then there were two hardy walkers came along. And what were they doing? I don't know. But they were out with their little dog, actually. And they said, are you okay? And one of the other guys said, yes, we're fine. And my friend Sid said, No, we're not. (laughs) We need help. And I was very glad he did. And so guess what? They rescued us. Remember them rubbing our legs down and getting our trousers out from our rucksack. They saved us. And incidentally, I met the the wife of the couple. I met her a few years later. She was working in B&Q, not that far from where I was living. And I met with her and I said, I think you saved my life. She said, I know I did. You needed saving. You needed rescue. You know, sometimes we just need to cry out, help. God heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. He helped me and he set my feet on solid ground. Do you need God to rescue you? Do you need God to step into your life? Sometimes we can be like the guys we met. We say, I'm fine. (laughs) We just keep on going. We soldier on. I'm fine, don't worry about me. I'll get through it. No, you need help. You need rescuing. Sometimes we have the old song in our mouths. We're singing it over and over again. It's providing us a little bit of comfort, but God wants to put a new song in your mouth. And if we let him rescue us, he will do. Do you know this psalm is most famous, actually, because it was used by the pop band U2. They're in the studio in 1983. They'd recorded all through the night. And it was six in the morning and you 2 realised they, they needed one more track for their album. And uh, 
the bass player went, had already gone home, he was exhausted, I guess, and they thought, we've got to record one more track. They had a few, more, few minutes to do it. And they came out with this riff, and okay, let's do this and do that. And Bono, the singer for U2, was thinking, what lyrics shall I sing? He opened his Bible. It opens at Psalm 40. And so he sang, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He set my feet on a rock. I will sing, sing a new song. And that has actually become one of U2's most performed songs, 40. <laughs> and uh, thousands and thousands of people have sung this song without even realising perhaps always what they're singing. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Many will sing a new song. I wonder, are you singing a new song in this new year? We need God to rescue us. Yeah, next week, as I said, we've got the regional minister coming. So you better behave. But, you know, I'm joking, of course, because in, in other denominations, it's a bit like when the bishop turns up and everything's got to be, you know, just right, roll out the red carpet and all the rest of it. But in actual fact, in the Baptist denomination, we're not really a denomination, we're a union, the Baptist union. Uh, the regional minister only ever comes by invitation. And they come, generally speaking, when a church is actually in difficulty. Um, now, I've invited Joth, he's new in post and he's a really good guy, so I um, wanted him to come and be with us. But, uh, you know, often churches don't cry out for help until it's too late. Um, we're too independent, actually, as Baptist churches. Now, you might say, well, it's good that we don't have all the hierarchy, we don't have someone coming in and telling us what to do. There are positives, but at the same time, sometimes we don't ask for help until it's too late. A lot of churches have to wait until there's like two, more, two people left in the congregation, or they've got no money, or everybody's fallen out, and then they ask for help. It's a little bit too late by then. And that's often what the regional minister does, comes in at that point to manage the crisis. But um, we need to ask for help. You know, we're doing the marriage sessions. My wife is a, um, a family law solicitor, and time and time again she says, couples don't ask for help soon enough. Often people come and say, right, it's irreparable. Well, if they'd come sooner, it maybe could have, something could have been done. Cry out to God. Ask God for help and ask him to rescue you. And then when he does, it's just so great to speak about it. It's so great to give you testimony. It's so great to tell people what God has done for you. And verses 9 and 10 of this psalm encourage exactly that. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. I'm going to tell others about this, about what you've done. I proclaim your saving acts. I do not seal my lips, Lord. Now sometimes we don't tell what God has done in our lives, maybe out of a false humility, but actually it gives God glory when we say, you know what, God has done this for me. He's rescued me. He's stepped into my life. This is a psalm which gets to the heart of who God is. He is the one who rescues. It's a sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. You don't desire my religious acts. God just wants us to come to him. Just come as you are this morning. Lord, I do need help. 
you know, I might look like I know what I'm doing, but regularly I'm saying, Lord, help. I need help in this situation. I really, really need your help. Help me. Rescue me. Sometimes we don't want people to think that we've really messed up and we've got something terrible going on in our lives, and so we hold back. But let's cry out to God. It is by grace we're saved. So let's cry out to God for help. Life, life is too short. I'm so bored of everyone going, oh, no, no, I'm fine. Come off it. You're not. <laughs> you need the Lord. Now, there is something about this psalm which I, I'd never noticed before. But, um, and I wanted two different people to read this through because the bit that Trevor read to us um, describes what God has done. Thank you, God, because I was in the pit and you lifted me up. You did an amazing thing for me and I will tell about it. But then the bit that Andrea just read to us, the second half of the psalm, guess what happened? The psalmist, David, is back in the pit again. He's back in trouble. He says, troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. They're more than the hairs on my head. And some of us have more sins than others. So David is back in the pit and in this instance he says it's my fault. I've sinned again. I've messed up again. Now is a God the kind of God who says, well, you know, you can, I'll help you out the once but the next time you're on your own. No. He's the God who will rescue us and then rescue us again when we need help again and we've messed up and made the same mistake or a different mistake again. David in the second half of the psalm is saying, my sins are overwhelming me. They are more than the hairs of my head. Please, crying out for mercy, please save me. Lord, come quickly to help me. And we know that David was a man after God's heart, but he certainly wasn't perfect. But there are also external pressures on the psalmist here. There are people outside who want his downfall. Those who want to put him to shame... Uh, take his life, those who desire his ruin, those who say, aha, aha, they want to trip you up. May they get their comeuppance. During King David's life, we know well before he was king, he was being chased down by King Saul. There was even one time where his own son, Absalom, was after him. He had other enemies too. Maybe you've got people who got it in for you. And there are bullies out there, aren't there? There are people who are tough to deal with. Maybe you're facing a tough situation and it's not your own doing. You just got caught up in it. Sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes it's, it's just the wet, just life. Cry out to God. Cry out to him for rescue. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. So I want to pray that we can be the kind of church where... Do you know what? I'm going to be authentic. I'm going to be real. I'm going to be honest. I love the Psalms. I love the honesty of the Psalms. Just be real. Actually, I do need some help here. We're going to have a testimony just in a moment. And it's so good to speak of what God does. But the danger with testimonies, just let me say this. The danger with testimonies is we only ever come up the front when all is done and dusted. When all is good... Oh, you know, I was in this terrible situation, but now all is well. But then, you know what? Life isn't always as 
cut and dry as that, is it? It's ongoing. Yeah, I'm still struggling. I still have a few issues. But you know what? God is good, and he will rescue me. Father God, I want to thank you for your presence. I want to thank you that you're so good and that you're here. Lord, we, we, we bless you. We just want to thank you for what you're doing. You're so amazing. And uh, we want to declare that this is all about you. This is all for you. and You are the one who rescues. I want to thank you for the many times you've rescued me. The many times you've whispered into my ear. The many times you've changed my perspective. And when I just thought, oh my goodness, what have I done, Lord? You've, you've stepped in. You've been so good. You are so faithful. So loving, so true. Amen. Amen. Do you know, God desires just us to come to him. That's what these verses in the middle of the passage say. Yeah. You didn't desire sacrifice and offering, but then I said, here I am, I have come. Just come to God. Ultimately, that's what Jesus did. He came to the Father, and he became the sacrifice for us. And that's through him that we can uh, accept God's rescue. I'm going to invite Patrick, he's going to come up, going to share something, and then there'll be an